Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Yo, are we recording? No, we're not recording. There we go. Now it is. Yes. As at, um, at long last, the team returns. People were very <laughs> upset, very sad, yes. but we're back. Um, so Florida. So my, yeah, my brother-in-law lives in Fort Myers and he lives in like, it's weird. Like the, you know, the big, uh, sort of some, uh, concrete buildings that you're seeing on 35 and all that, the big, like industrial buildings that are mm-hmm. all like popping up everywhere. So he lives almost like right behind these huge ones that are still being built. They're like hundreds of thousands of square feet uh, off of freeway, which goes north-south, the uh, 75, goes north-south in, in the, the western part of Florida. It's a big thing that goes from like Naples, which is really like pretty far south, all the way through Tampa, all the way through, um, I think, Tallahassee and all that kind of stuff. So um, he lives right off that, just east of that, kind of behind that. But it's like this crazy thing because you're behind all these industrial buildings, but then you're almost like out in the country. Like it's this weird thing where it's like, you know, so he's got, uh, he lives on five acres on, um, you know, like a lot of country stuff and all that. So he's been, he's been busy. They've got chickens. They've got, um, he's been farming. So they got like sweet potatoes and um, like a bunch of other stuff that they're growing. And we're wildly jealous because we're always trying to farm ourselves and, uh, so far, unsuccessful. I think so far, our farming crop total has been about a handful of blueberries, a few tomatoes, no citrus, even though we have six citrus <laughs> trees that we've had for like five years. So uh, we're... we're um, the Austin soil, man. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, that's what it is. It's that damn soil. <laughs> Every no time good. I see one of these like little farm things that people have, I'm like, I hate you. So, um, so yeah, we're just not good farmers, but he seems to be a good farmer so far. So... Um, so it was a quick trip. We were only there for like 48 hours. So we went, um, went had dinner the first night and then the second day we, um, what did we do? Oh, we went to the beach. Oh, we went to uh, parasailing. Have you ever parasailed before? No. Do you, do you know what it is? It's like, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 You're kind of, you're kind of like sitting in a, I thought it was like, you're holding on like for dear life, but you're, you're like hooked in to this sort of thing where you're kind of sitting on a, on a little strap thing and it's a parachute and you just basically fly off the end of a boat and they keep going, you go higher and higher. So this was never like, I'm not crazy about heights. Uh, we've talked about my intense dislike of flying in general. Um, so I was like, okay, this is probably a bad combination of things for me, but you know, I don't want the uh, eight year old nephew to think that I'm a wimp. So, um, we went on this boat and there's six of us. There's three girls and three boys. There's the Chantel and uh, Victoria, so my brother-in-law's wife, and and Elena, his daughter, and then the you know me and Chuck and and Eddie, the boys. And so the girls go first, and it's like okay, like kind of fun. They're floating up, and I'm like, they just keep going higher and higher until I I swear they're like this tiny little dot. Did like, he? So do the all three go up at the same time? They do. They do. Oh, okay. And so they're okay. in one parachute, and it's just like it. I mean, it wasn't that. It's like like 300 feet or something like that, which doesn't seem that far. 
until you see somebody 300 feet up in the air and you're like, holy crap, that seems like forever. Like they just like these little dot in the thing. And I'm like, this is going to be terrible. Like, I'm not going to like this at all. Um, and I, and I feel like we probably didn't get quite as high cause we're like twice as big as, as the women were, but it's still like, it was pretty high. Uh, but it was surprisingly not bad. And I have no idea why I think because part of it, I was like, well, even if this, this, bro, this line snaps, I feel like we're in a parachute and the parachute's already open. And the most dangerous part of parachuting is if the parachute doesn't open. So I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll probably be all right. So it was kind of, it was kind of fun. Um, I don't know if I would ever do it again, just cause it wasn't like something I feel like you'd want to do again, but they were telling us, they're like, yeah, the, the, the wind is like 30 miles an hour up there. And they had to actually, once we went out, they had to switch to a smaller parachute cause like, it's so windy that it could snap the line. Um, and then they have smaller parachutes and then they put vents in them that they, they open up. So it's even less wind collecting and it's still like, even then they went for a few more people and then there was just, it was still so windy that they're like, we're done. Um, so, but it was, it was fun. You know, it was, it was that sounds awesome. My brother yeah. is always trying to get me to do that, but, um, you know, I'm the same with you. I'm, I'm not a big fan of heights. Yeah. It, it gives them a rush and it causes yes. me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's like, I, I don't find any enjoyment in it. Yeah. And especially I uh, like, right. There was a point where I was like, okay, he almost had me sold yeah. And literally, I don't know if it's Google listening to me or whatever, Yeah. but this article pops up about a fan. Like there was like this family in, I, I don't know, I think it was in Galveston or somewhere yeah. Yeah. where they went down in the water and then the boat just dragged them into like a bridge Ooh, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. That could Do you yeah. remember that? No, but I mean, like I'm now thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that could totally happen. Because we years ago, we were going to go um, on a hot air balloon, which I've never done either. And then right around the time we were going to go, I don't think it was at the place, but you know what I'm talking about. Like there was that hot air blown close to where you're at. Where it, like, it was in Kyle. Hit, like, yeah. Yeah. It hit like a bunch of electric lines and it just, you know, you got the hydrogen or whatever. So the whole thing burst into flames and some horrible gruesome thing. And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> yep. No, seriously. It was like the coolest thing. Not, not for me, but like years back, we'd wake up and it would be on the weekend and it'd be like, Oh my God, look at that hot air balloon up there. Yeah. Used to always be here in the Kyle Buta area. Yeah. Um, San Marcus. And ever since that, you don't see them anymore. So you, you, you saw it and you're like, <laughs> are they filming a Vin Diesel movie? Why is that thing on fire, <laughs> man? <laughs> Why oh, is he jumping yeah. out of that thing with the yeah, snowboard? Seriously. Oh yeah. God, I, I would jump. <laughs> I'd be like, screw it. I'm, I, I got to pick one way to go. I'm, gonna, I'm not burning to death in the sky. I'm jumping out of the sky. So, but yeah. I'd be the guy that's holding on for the last second, trying to like, we can get this balloon back in the air somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's climbing around. Yeah, it just, it seems awful. So, but I mean, it's, those things have to be pretty safe though. Cause you look at the people running them and it's always like the amusement park stuff. Like when I was a kid, there was this sort of like, you know how they have like the, they have this stuff in Kyle too, where it's like it, it's not a permanent amusement park, but like yep. sometime out of the year. So like when I lived in when I was in you know middle school and stuff like that, they had one, and it's like you'd see the burnout stoner just not doing well in life type people that were like running that thing. So I'm like, it can't be that dangerous because we used to do one where it was like you're in this thing that's that's kind of it's going like a like sort of the. Um, like a, was it not carousel? Yeah, I think it's called the zipper. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. That's what exactly. So you can, you can flip it as it's going like over. So if you're going on the big 
turn of the wheel. So it's like you're all the way to the top going up and you you flip down at the right time. It just feels like you're falling head first. And I'm like, you know, you do that in hindsight and you're like, you're literally letting like, I don't know, we were like 11 year old boys just being like, ah, have at it. Try and make this as dangerous and scary as possible. And I'm like, I don't remember anyone ever dying doing that. So it can't be that bad. But um, but you get a little older and you're like, See, and yeah. I have the exact opposite feeling. Like, I see the people running it, and I'm like, eh, this can't be safe. But you're oh, right. I, like, statistically, yeah. I mean, how often do you hear of of uh, people dying or, or um, getting killed at, at those? There's uh, got to be a good margin for error. But it's that being said, I just, I don't like that stuff. Like, I, I don't like, I mean, I'll do it. I've done, like, the roller coaster stuff. And the um, I forget the big one that used to be in Disney World a long time ago. Like, the one that was all Space Mountain or something like that. It's, like, all in the dark. And like, I remember that one when I was a kid going on that. And I used to live near Hershey Park in Pennsylvania. So that's one of those ones that had the old wooden roller coasters that all feel like they're going to fall oh, yeah. apart and they're super high. And I don't know. It's just like one of those things I did. And it was never like, I'm like, this is not, if you look at like the enjoyment level versus the just anxiety level, like you're saying, and then the logistical level of like, you got to go there, pay the money, wait in line, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, it's like, it's just not the juice is not. Yeah, it was always something where I had to force myself to do it, right? And so that's not yeah. something you typically, if you have to force yourself to do it, it's like I have to force myself to go to the dentist, right? Like yeah. I don't, I don't look forward to it. Yeah. It's it's more of like I can't, I you know I don't want to wimp out. So, but I I don't. Yeah, once you start like paying money and as you're older, like eh, I don't I don't know. But it's weird how your brain is wired because yeah. there are things where. So I'll give you an example. My niece. They, they like you know on some of those roller coasters they'll take photos of you at the very top yeah yeah eyes wide open biggest smile on her face yeah. since she was like six seven yeah. since she was big enough to get on these things yep. Yep. like her brain is just wired where it is not scary it is yeah. the most fun yeah um and for me it's like this is out of control this is crazy i don't like it yeah. um but then there are things that i'm wired to do that she looks at it and she's like that's crazy. Yeah. Um, my old job, they'd be yes. like, no, I'm, I'm running the other way. I'm not running towards, yeah. you know, you know, people trying to kill people. Yeah. Um, getting into the ring in front yes. of an audience. There yes. are people that will literally, and I've seen them, they'll quit right before they get into the ring. They'll like throw up, they'll quit, yeah. find yeah. a reason not to get in there. Yeah. And that for me, my brain is wired to like, I want to perform. This is enjoyable. I, I like it. Yeah. See, I think to me, to me, I would much rather be wired the way you're wired because it's like I think you are well, though. I don't know about that. I know. I don't know if I'm I'm running towards if, if there's danger coming, I'm running away from the danger. <laughs> but but that being said, no one's paying me to run towards danger. That's true. They probably they probably shouldn't if uh, if we're being honest here. But um, <laughs> we wasted our money. Yeah. Right. But it's, <laughs> but it is interesting to watch. You know, there's there's people that. Um, I was telling, I haven't, I don't know if I've told my nephew this yet, but I will, because he's he's doing a lot of jujitsu competitions. Yeah, actually, the weekend of the Taylor Swift thing, he's competing that weekend, and he's, you know, he's only eight. So, and to me, it's like when I, I was never a big competitor myself, but I, I trained with a lot of guys that competed a lot, especially maybe like 10, 11 years ago, a lot of black belts that were competing, you know, the Pan Ams and all that stuff in jujitsu, and what I noticed is the guys that did the best are the guys that competed the most. It was like, it was like, it was a, it, people look at it like, you have to have this, you know, special training, special this, special that. I'm like, I really think that competing is its own skill. 
like learning how to compete and really learning how to make the gym experience and the competing experience very similar because they all had a different way of, they, they were not, they had a different level of intensity in the way that they trained. Um, they had a, a much more sort of predictable, but harder to stop game and they competed a lot. And it was like that, that was what I saw as being, and, and a lot of these guys were winning, you know, like Pan Ams and you know, different things, gold medalists and all that. And they were good, but it was like, you know, I look at them versus guys I know who have never competed. And I can't say the guys who have never competed were not as good. In fact, in many ways, there's guys I know that I've trained with who have never competed in jujitsu, I would say were better, but it doesn't mean they would do better in competition. Yep. Because that that experience of competing, especially the guys that competed a lot all through the belt ranks, that in and of itself helps a lot. And like, so Jeff's uh, Jeff's nephew is wrestling. And I mean, this kid's already had probably like, I don't know, 30 or 40 matches, like a competitive matches in front of people, putting the singlet on, doing this and doing that. And it's like, man, that's, that's a lot of experience already. You know, I mean, at 15. Um, you know, by the time he's 18, it's probably over, you know, hundreds of matches and that ability to compete to that understanding of like when the pressure's on and understanding the practicality of it and dealing with all that, that's a skill. That's a skill that's been developed. And it's more than just the skill of the actual nuts and bolts of grappling or wrestling. So, you know, it's always interesting to see that, like the understanding that it's sort of two different skills that you have to build up. It's the actual skill of learning the craft. But competing in the craft is a whole nother skill. So, because you meet people, and I'm sure you saw in boxing guys that are monsters in the gym, when it comes to lights on and all that, they just never performed. You know, yeah, and it, it was usually because of two things. One, there was the, um, there were like superstars in the gym. Yeah. But when the lights would come on, um, there's a lot of being able, and you know, there's a lot of being able to, like, how do you deal with the crowd yeah. um, and, and all that type of thing. Um, and Conor McGregor talks about that. Like when you talk about, um, and a lot of the great fighters have talked about it and all different yeah. disciplines have talked about it on a competitive level yep. that there are people that will actually beat them in training, but they will never reach the peak of professional company because they cannot perform when the lights come on type yep. of thing. Right. And for some people, the best will just come out of them when people, when other people are actually watching them. Yeah. Right. And then there's other people that are like when people are really focused in on them, they just feel like all that anxiety, a lot of pressure is on them yeah. and their best fighting doesn't come out. But also what I've noticed is and what I do know is that it's when you're talking about competing versus not competing, uh, there's a lot of gamesmanship involved. Yep. And so the more you, for example, I had someone call me recently. Uh, it's a SWAT officer up in Round Rock, and they're going to be doing a Battle of the Badgers in Galveston, and he's going to oh, yeah. be competing yeah. in it. Okay. So he asked me, you know, that boxing event, right, against like firefighters yeah. and other yeah. law enforcement. So yeah. he asked me, he was like, hey, can you recommend any good trainers, any good gyms? And, and I gave him some recommendations. I actually recommended um, our um, mutual friend, Javier Cepeda, yeah. uh, over to him. I was like, hey, I think he's up north, and, and if he's still training, he, he may be able to help you. Yeah. Um, or at least point you in the right direction. But, uh, you know, he asked me for a little bit of my advice on it, you know, on, on the competition. And I think I was like feeding him through a fire hose because he asked me a, a very, it seems like a simple question, but it's a very deep question. And yeah. basically what I was telling him, I was like, look, 
be very specific in your training, like, because he's a SWAT officer, so they're going to do a lot of weightlifting and running and things that are very specific to that type of job, right? Yeah. And they feel like they're in great shape, and they are in great shape for that specific type of job. But I see this happen a lot in other sports yeah. where they're like, let me go run 10 miles to get ready for a boxing competition, or let right. me swim a bunch of laps. And I think that that's good supplemental stuff. But at the end of the day, I am a believer and you know, what my coach used to say is like, if you want to get good at, if you want to get conditioned for boxing, then you do more boxing. Yeah. If you, you know, you just start sparring a lot. If you want to get conditioned to play in a basketball tournament, then you play a lot of basketball. You don't yeah. go run laps. Right. Yeah. And if you're going to try to run a marathon, not in the boxing gym, you're, you're putting in miles, you're putting in the road work every day. You have to be very, very specific. Yeah. But then on top of that, what I was telling them, I was like, you know, battle of the badges, those are like one minute rounds versus a three minute round. Yep. And when you do that, the game completely changes, it right? It's not, it's not this thing where like, if we're doing three minute rounds for three rounds or six rounds or nine rounds, all the strategy changes, the longer this fight goes on, mm -hmm. right? Because you have more time to basically plan these traps and then execute in the later rounds. Yep. But when you're doing a three, three round, one minute round, this is like a street fight. And yeah. so I was like, you got to train specific for that. And, um, yeah. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I'm in agreement with you that yeah. you have to, you know, there's a lot of what we call gaming it, right? You can, you, you're, you're gaming it. Yeah. And some people are good. I agree. Like some people can play the game very well, but when you take out the rules of that game, yep. right, then you're playing a different game. And they yeah. don't play it so well. So yeah. you can definitely have a guy who doesn't compete in jujitsu, but you take out time limit and you're rolling with them on the mat. And, you know, maybe it doesn't, it, he, you know, he does, he doesn't do as well as the guy who doesn't compete. Yeah. Right. Or there's people that are born wrestlers. And, um, if you allow them to wrestle in these jujitsu competitions, they do very well. But the moment you start allowing like leg and leg entanglements and heel hooks, yeah, it's like, you know, now you're playing a different game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I was reading this book recently where it was a guy talking about a physical um, like fitness exam that he had to take in the Air Force. And it was done on a um, like a bike and you had to go at a certain resistance for a certain amount of time or something like that. There was some sort of protocol. And he said he was working with a lot of guys that were like big runners and stuff like that. And like, ah, I'll be fine. And then there was this one like fat guy who was like, hmm. I might need to strategize on this. So like two weeks before the test, every day he would go to the gym, to that specific bike they were going to use for that test, set the resistance, what it was going to be on the test, did it for however long the test was going to be. And he essentially practiced the test for like two weeks. Long story short, fat guy went like hands down, beats everybody in this fitness test. And these runners and all this stuff, they failed the test because they didn't, prepare for it specifically. So the point with all that is that, you know, endurance is specific, training is specific. And, you know, it can be something where you can be a better boxer than somebody under the rules of boxing, understanding that you've got three minutes, that the guy who goes crazy for 45 seconds still has another two minutes and 15 seconds, which is a long time when you're tired. But if it's a minute round, and this dude can go ape shit for 45 seconds and he's only got 15 <laughs> more seconds to survive. That's a totally different beast. 
Because there's a lot of things out there where it's like, you know, in ways it favors the guy who's maybe the more explosive athlete, the more powerful, the more fearless, maybe the more reckless type of thing versus if it's three minutes or then, you know, a three minute, three round thing, it's like, that's a certain thing. But if it's eight minute, or, you know, eight rounds or, or 10 or 12 rounds, it's a totally different strategy because you can be like Floyd Mayweather and essentially give rounds away in the beginning because it's like he's not even giving rounds away. He's just more collecting data. Okay, he does this. Okay, he does that. All right, okay, hit me a little bit, whatever. He's not going to hit him clean. And you're going to figure out all his tricks after a few rounds and then starts picking them apart round after round. And we did that to Conor McGregor and it's still like you still hear people to this day saying, oh, Conor was killing Floyd. And it's like, dude, no, he wasn't. Floyd was just basically trying to let me lengthen this fight out a little bit. Let me read all this guy's stuff so I make sure that I'm not going to fall into something silly. And then he starts picking them apart. And by the end, it's like, you know, that's it. He stops them. And that's a very good, uh, even probably the best example right there as of um, how specific the game was, right? Like yep. Floyd forced Connor to play his game, which mm-hmm. is the smart thing to do. You yep. know, when Connor invited him to step into the cage and do MMA, yeah. Floyd was smart right. enough to be like, yeah, eh, cool. nah, I'm not going to play your game. We're <laughs> yeah. going to play my game and see yeah. who's better at it, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, and that's yeah. really what you should do. And actually, yeah. I, I love that idea. We talk about that idea a lot. It's yeah. level of competence in business, yeah. right? Yeah. It's playing the game that you know how to play the best. Yes. And, you know, it increases your odds of winning. I agree. Because I was thinking about what you were just saying about the guys who can perform well under the spotlights and, you know, the clutch players and all that. And I'm like, how important is that a skill for life in general? Because it's something you see in sports a lot, like the big game player or whatever. And I'm like, how many of those people are successful in other things in life? And I don't think that many of them. I think I think if you looked at them, like the clutch players, you know, the guy who catches the touchdown, you know, the guy who gets the last minute knockout, whatever it might be, you know, the lights are on. Are they that successful in other things in life? Because I, I kind of wonder when we talk about level of competence, if you realize you're like more like sort of the rest of people, like most people, where most people do not perform their best in those huge high pressure situations. So then it's like, okay, well, I still want to perform my best. Do I just keep doing it until I perform well in this situation? And it's like, well, in the sports world, yeah, you probably have to. But But most of life is not sports. You know, most people are not making their money competing as jujitsu guys or boxers or anything like that. The vast majority of people probably lose money in those sports or, or break even at best. So then it's like for life, I think this comes back to what you're saying, your level of competence. If you realize, okay, I'm probably never going to be the guy who's going to be in front of a bunch of people getting everyone super excited and rallying the crowd and psyching people up. So maybe I'm not going to be the spokesperson for this thing, or maybe I'm not going to be, maybe I'm more of a behind the scenes kind of person. Maybe that's, you know, maybe I'm somebody who wants to have hire, you know, hire somebody like that, but I want to be the real power guy behind that and just kind of figuring that out. Because I I think about that a lot just for me. It's like, I am loving my more and more anonymous lifestyle, even though it's like, not that I was anybody to begin with, but it's like, you know, not being on social media, not putting up videos, not doing whatever because I feel like it gives me like this good freedom and I just enjoy it, but I'm making sure that I'm finding, you know, a good team. You know, I told you about the sort of development about maybe getting a, you know, somebody working with me with the builders and things like that. And, and, you know, just kind of making sure I know the right components and things like that. But in terms of like, you know, cause I thought about, it, I'm like, should I try and put an announcement in the temple newspaper or whatever? I'm like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just want to get this thing done. 
um, and not really worry about any of that because I think that's how I perform best. But finding, you know, your level of confidence and how you perform, because there's some people where it's like they're energy monsters. They need that attention and that's what makes them perform their best. For me, it's like I feel like the, the attention is kind of a distraction and it just it gets in my head too much and it's too whatever. It's I, I don't think I perform my best when I do that way. So I think, you know, when it comes to figuring out circle of competence, maybe it is really being honest. Like, am I a clutch player? Do I like to be behind the scenes? Do I like the attention and do I do well with the attention? Because I think that's another thing is that do you do well with the attention? Because some people do. They do better with attention. Some people don't do well with attention. It turns them into a worse person. It turns them into, it gets them sort of focused on wanting the attention itself versus, I, I would say just even in the UFC, uh, Jorge Masvidal fought last night and it's like, that dude's a superstar and he's you know fighting his hometown. And I was watching the prep and I didn't watch the fight, but I thought to myself before I went to sleep, well, he's going to lose this fight because he's enjoying being famous more than I think he is really training hard. And you saw him with his shirt off. And I'm like, he looks kind of like a little soft. You know what I mean? He doesn't look like chiseled. He doesn't look like he looked a few years ago versus Gilbert Burns, the guy he fought. It's like Gilbert still wants to be the champion. Like that still matters to that dude more than anything, more than being famous, more whatever. And Masvidal was like going to Miralago, seeing Trump, and he was doing like different things. And like he's just walking around getting mobbed by people and like hanging out where guys are doing like the, you know, having the motorcycle go like almost up and down doing the wheelie and just like doing all this hanging out. I'm like, he's enjoying the camera following him and doing this more than I think he's actually passionate about training. This is, that was just my thought. And I'm like, I think that's what happened. Um, you know, some fighters are like that where it's like they enjoy the attention so much. They forget the reason they got the attention was because they were at one point toiling away anonymously and then there's other fighters that know that about themselves and they don't do interviews and they don't do whatever. And maybe they don't make as much money, but they, they fight better that way. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see that. Like, I think it's just comes down to, you kind of, you really got to be honest with yourself about what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And, you know, some people, they do well with attention. I'd say somebody like Trump does very well with attention. He needs that attention, but there's other people that it's like, man, they're better behind the scenes. I think I'm better behind the scenes. That's very insightful. How many people do you think there are that they're not successful because they're actually trying to be something that they romanticize about, but they're yeah. not really, that's not who they are. They're trying to yeah. be something that they're not. Like they want to be the Conor McGregor, but they're not the Conor yeah. McGregor, yeah. right? Yeah. Or vice versa. They want to live, like they want to be the anonymous guy, but they're not the anonymous guy. Yeah. That's not, yeah. that's not who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think is a great question. I don't know. I feel like there's probably a lot because um, I think that's why one of the reasons a lot of people are unhappy is they're not. And that's the weird thing about and why social do you think people do that. I think, you know, just off the cuff, if someone were to ask me that question, I'm asking myself the question right now. Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably a little bit of envy, right? Like when you romanticize about something, it's probably because you see someone doing it and you think that that's the way it should be done or that's yep. the way you would like to do it. You know, yep. there are people, actuality, I think, I, I can't remember, but when I was studying philosophy back in college, and I can't remember if it was Plato or Aristotle, but they talked about the 
basically like moral obligation a person had to utilize their talents yes. even if they didn't love yeah. what they were born to do, yeah. right? So yeah. like, let's say you were good at medicine, but you were wanting to be like a professional boxer. Yeah. You know, they yeah. would argue like, no, yeah. you have this moral obligation. You had this God-given gift. Yeah. I know you don't like to do it, yeah. but you need to wake up every day and do it because that's the gift you were born with. And I think yeah. that that's where it all plays out. You know, when you have someone who's very objective, like a Charlie Munger who talks about yeah. level of competence, like a Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. I think they would be in agreement with that. They're like, yeah, I, you know, I'd like to be the rock star, but this is my talent. This is my gift. And if I, if I just do this, I'll win a lot more. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's not even about winning. It's about like just the ethics and the principles of it all. Right. Like yeah. these are the talents that I was born with. This is probably the best way I can help my community. Yeah. Uh, society is just to do what I can do well, right. That other yeah. people can't do. Yeah. Um, I think I'm speaking for myself. I think a lot of people wake up and they want to, they, they're sometimes they're not grateful for the talents that they have, or they don't, yeah. they don't, they're not as um, excited about the talents that they have. And we try to be, we, we, we always try to be someone else. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think that, um, you know, you take the mongers and, and Buffett's because they're relatively low key people, even though they do interviews and stuff like that, but they're well aware that their skill set is showing the, the almost sort of boring practical nature of, of how they invest because they don't. They're not like, oh, we're, we're buying and selling, we're doing this. It's like, no, we're buying and holding this. So we're looking at things that we're going to invest in for the next, you know, the remainder of our life or, or whatever it might be. And that's a different, that's going to attract a different type of person to follow that and want to emulate that versus the people that are going to show you like their cool lifestyle. And it's like, you know, there's, there's a wind machine and the guy's wearing a scarf and he's getting on a plane. He's like, ah. You know, I'm doing whatever I want. I got strippers here, but it's cool. Like, you know, and like whatever it might be, like they're they're trying to attract a different kind of crowd. Um, now, Munger, I think, is very um, critical of those people because he's like, you know, they're telling you how to make these things or whatever. And he's like, they're telling you how to make these returns that are impossible returns to make in my 70 years of investing type of thing. And I, I would tend to agree with Munger. But, um, you know, I think that the one thing that's changed a lot over the last probably whatever it's been 15 years is that because of social media, there is the, a lot higher possibility that somebody can get noticed now than it used to be. I mean, it used to be like, you know, you had infomercials, you had like magazine ads and stuff like that, but it was, it, was, it cost money and it, and it was a lot of, it was a decent amount of work to kind of get yourself out there versus now it's like, at least, you know, there, there's the idea that you can be on Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is uh, relatively cheaply and, and reach theoretically, you know, billions of people. So because that's become a profession, even though I would argue that the idea of now being an influencer is the same thing as being an athlete. It's like the same odds and it's the same career length too. Like all these people that are influencers now, I'll say right now, and I said it years before, Give them three years, give them five years, give me a whole nother crop of people. Like nobody is an influencer for any length of time, maybe like a, a Kim Kardashian or something. There's going to be a few exceptions, but for the most part, all these YouTubers and things like that, they won't last. So it's not even, to me, it's like the same sort of thing of saying you want to be an influencer is like saying you want to be a professional athlete. Like it's the same odds of succeeding, I think. 
So, but people look at that as, for whatever reason, I think is more accessible because it's like, you see a professional athlete, it's like you see these guys dunk a basketball or whatever, you're like, yeah, no, I'm never going to be able to do that. So it's not even a possibility in your mind versus you see somebody making like funny YouTube videos where you're like, well, I'm funny too. I could do that. And it like, it seems more accessible. So I think it gets more people looking at that first thing that they think they can do and just trying it versus really looking back and going like, well, what is actually happening here? Like, why is this person successful at doing this? What is the end game? Do I really want to do this? Like, and what are the benefits and, and you know, pros and cons of this kind of thing? Because I think if most people looked at that, they would not want to do that because it's like you constantly have to put out material. You are giving up enormous amounts of privacy. You have a limited time of a success window if there's any at all. And most likely you will fail. And it's like now, not only have you done all that, but if you go to get a normal job or do whatever and someone Googles you and you've got all these stupid videos on YouTube or whatever, uh, you could easily use that as a reason not to hire somebody. So it's like you're, you're putting yourself out there and, and getting a lot of the, the detriments of being quote unquote famous without any of the you know accolades of being famous, which is money and power. So, um, but it, it just seems more accessible now. So I think more people are, are tempted to do it, but I think if they were honest with themselves, it wouldn't be quite as many people sort of putting themselves in positions they shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a very good point. I often think though about, about being honest with yourself is where do you draw the line with believing in yourself and being honest with yourself? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a hard one. It is. That's a hard it one. is. Because I, yeah. you want to believe like, because to a certain point, people that are successful now, they, they have a lot of like these X factors and, and attributes yeah. Um, that allow them to be super successful, like the Michael Jordans of the world, sure. right? But to a certain degree, a lot of their success comes from the belief within, right? Yeah. 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 Because there's going to be failures in life. There's going to be times where it doesn't look like you're going to be, you know, anyone of any significance uh, in your field. Yeah. Um, and so there's the idea of like not giving up, believing in yourself. It's not who's best, it's who's left. So where do yeah. you where do you draw the line? I think that that's, that's, that's also an important concept because you want to be honest with yourself, but you also don't want to give up prematurely. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, I think in, in sports, it's a little more straightforward because it's kind of like, yeah, most of you know, like going to the Dallas Cowboys or, yeah, or anyone. I mean, you, you see, I mean, you see that in, in fighting where it's like the guy, like, cause we know you and I, I know, you know, and I know, I know multiple fighters that are like 50 50 it's like he, he had 30 fights he was 15 and 15 or whatever and it's like <laughs> yeah maybe uh after loss number three we might have just called it a career then you know it's like the guys for you know that kind of thing um you know i think with things like sports and, and even entertainment um to me it's like it's you're kind of good at these things or you're not and then, like the idea of like michael jordan's like oh i got cut from my basketball team when i was 15 or whatever. Yeah. But he was like five, seven then. And like a year later he was six, six. So it's like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like even the stories of like the people quote unquote failing, it's like, if you look at the details of it, you're like, mm, yeah. Cause then you were like an all American college player. You were playing division one basketball. Then you were in the Olympics. Then Nike's giving you a shoe before you're even a pro play. I mean, like this is not that much of a hard luck story. I mean, you were super rich and famous by the time you're 21. Like you're not really failing. So um, I, I think that um, in other things, it can be a little bit more 
intangible, like business and stuff like that. But the problem I think also is that you see this in business a lot where somebody is successful and then they get the whole Dunning-Kruger effect where they think like they're they're better than they are and they think it's like, oh, well, it's just me versus looking at where the market's at, the timing is, um, you know, just whatever it might be, looking at the, the essentially the luck factors or the out of your control factors and being honest about that. Because I, you know, this happened to me, that happened to me, what, 10, 11 years ago, I thought I was, you know, figuring out how to make money and things like that. And I had a couple of good years and then I had a couple of really bad years because I thought that it was all me and I could go anywhere and do whatever and do the same stuff. And it was like, no, I just had hit the market at the right time. I was in the right place. And as soon as those things left, you know, things went south very quickly. So, um, again, that's he, very insightful because you know, it goes back to Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett that they yeah. take those intangibles out of the play, out yeah. of play. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so what do we need to do? So we don't rely on timing and luck yes. and it's just follow certain fundamentals, right? Yep. Like and, and you, that's, you buy yep. really great products undervalued and you, yep. you, you, you don't try to get rich overnight. It's yes. a 30, 40 year play. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as I've gotten older, that becomes more and more. And I look at that from a real estate point of view of like, if I'm buying things in certain locations, if I'm buying things that have, um, practicality to a wide range of people over a wide range of economies. So when things are good, this is going to be a nice upgrade for a certain business. When things are bad, this is a downgrade for another business. So it's not super high end where it's like, if things go down, like who's going to afford this, but it's not super rundown either because it's like, now you have the people that are going to be a little bit more discriminating where like, it's like, they're never going to really want that. It's like, if you find something that's sort of more versatile in the middle, something that's located in certain areas that, um, have essential things that are just not going to go away because they're a physical, tangible thing, then I think you are relatively safe on that. But it took me 17 years of real estate to sort of really start learning this. And even this, it's like, I think with all that, always having to realize that maybe you'll be wrong. Maybe you were right at a certain point, but it doesn't mean you'll be right continually. And I think most importantly is you have to continually adapt. I mean, COVID taught us that. Um, whatever the hell is going on with the banks right now is teaching us that there's going to be some crazy thing that's going to happen. I'm going to say this now in a year from now, I don't know what it's going to be. I didn't know banks were going to start failing. I knew something was going to happen this year. I didn't know it was going to be that. I mean, there's going to be something next year. I mean, I didn't know in beginning of 2020 that we're going to have a worldwide pandemic and everyone's going to have a, a surgical mask on their face three years later. So, you know, it's just, there's all these different things that are going to happen. Um, so I think that to me, that, that understanding and sort of keeping the, the strong fundamentals, but keeping the flexibility mindset matters also, because it's like you see people go down with the ship when they're too stubborn. It's like, oh, I'm a builder. I always have to be a builder. And it's like, well, do you? Because maybe at a certain point, it doesn't make sense to build anything. Maybe it makes sense to take something that's already there and renovate it or do like something else to, to add value versus, oh, no, I just have to do this one thing. So, you know, it's because I think even in business, it's hard to be successful for a long period of time. I think it's easier to do that than it is athletics or influencing or, or anything in front of the camera. But it's still like, you know, the guys that have been successful in business for a long period of time through recessions and booms and busts, not a ton of them out there. You know, that's again, when we go back to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, it's like, they've been doing this stuff since the 50s. It's a long time. That's impressive. There's a lot of things have happened since then. But a lot of guys have come and gone. So, um, so yeah, it's it's hard to say, man. I mean, like, you know, in terms of, I, I've met a lot of delusional people 
especially when I worked in the film world that like really should have quit a long time ago. And I tell you, like, I don't know if I ever told you. So I tried to be an actor for a couple of years. I went to acting class. I did like some silly commercial stuff and like little like local things and whatever and student films and all that kind of stuff. And I did this one thing and I was like, oh, man, I was so funny. I was so good in this. I was making everyone laugh. This is going to be great. And I finally got a copy of it. And I remember showing it my, my, my roommate at the time. I'm like, oh, come in, watch this. This is going to be awesome. You're going to like this. It's so good or whatever. And it literally within like the first like 30 seconds, I was so uncomfortable because I was so terrible that I'm like, I got to do something else with my life. And I literally quit. Like that was it. That was it for me. Because I'm like, I'm not like I thought I was so good. I was so uncomfortably, terribly bad. And I'm like, I don't love this enough to be like, how can I be good? I'm like, I, I feel like I'm realistic enough. Well, let to me be ask like, you, were you being overly critical of yourself or did your roommate, no, did your roommate was like, oh, was my like, roommate left. Room. My roommate was like, I can't watch this. This is too bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, so it was like one of those things, but it was, it was beautiful that that happened because I was like immediately. And I met people years later that were still trying to, do like I met guys that were writers that were just they just weren't good writers or people that were doing this in acting and they just weren't good at it. And it's like, you know, I guess at a certain point they're so invested in it, but it's like, you know, to me, I, it's much better, I think, to have that as be a fun anecdote in your life versus, oh no, I'm just going to dedicate my whole life to this thing that I'm never going to be good at. So I don't know, it's a hard line. I think it's partly just the success leaves clues. And even the people that are believing in themselves, when you look at their story, it's like, like we, we would always talk about Tony Shea, the Zappos guy. And it's like, that guy was already successful long before Zappos. He had already had another company sold. it. He was already a millionaire, like by the time he was like 25. So this idea of like, oh, he just kept trying and kept failing. And it's like, no, he didn't. He was successful right away. It's like Mark Zuckerberg was already you know, Facebook was already immensely popular by the time that guy dropped out of Harvard at like 20 or 21. It's like some of these people, it's not. And I'm sure he was super successful before that, too. You read about um, Warren Buffett when he was a kid, he was doing paper routes. And then he hired other kids to do like different routes in neighborhoods. And he had, you know, control. He was, he had the, he was like the paper route mafia king. By the time he was in high school, he was making more money than his teachers were making. So he always understood that. So this idea of like, you know, I think people kind of know their skill level maybe before their ego wants to admit it, you know, versus the people that say they weren't good at stuff. I think it's just sometimes it's just a better story to say that you weren't good at something. But I don't know if I believe that because I've just never seen it. You know, I mean, guys that are good grapplers or good fighters or whatever, they're usually pretty good when they walk in the door. They're already tougher than most people. Um, this idea that like it's all this wimpy guy who eventually I've never seen it. I mean, I, maybe it's happened, but I've never really seen it. There's people you can tell right away. Like, you know, my, my nephew, for instance, he's eight years old, but I even just mess around with him. Like this kid's going to be really good because he's tiny. He's tiny even for eight years old, but he's already like the way he moves. I'm like, he already moves really well. Um, so this idea of like, Oh, you never knew. It's like, yeah, you did. You can tell right away. So I don't know. I don't know what my point is with all that. I think it's just, uh, I think people like to create stories about um, success that are not really true. I think it's more better to find what you're actually good at and what you actually enjoy um, versus. No, I, it, I think it's, yeah, I think it's going back to what, where we started is that know thyself yeah. and everything after that is just marketing. 
Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, because and that's maybe that's what it bothers me, and maybe that's what we're talking about. It is that the marketing a lot of times is bullshit. Because if if like Elon Musk, or, yeah, because you got to sell, you're you're selling a story. You're selling right? a story that that makes it accessible to other people when it really should just be like like Bill Gates and these different people should be like, I'm just smarter than you. Yeah, but I'm nobody gets inspired. You, nobody gets inspired once yeah. you tell them. <clears throat> once you tell them you can't do what I yeah. do yeah. in a million years. Yeah. No, that's not, in, that's not, that doesn't inspire anyone. That's why like the movie, the, the Rocky franchise has yeah. been such a great yeah. franchise, right? Because it's yep. like, he's a no one, he's a nobody, but he continues yeah. to get back up and can, yeah. continues to try. Yeah. It's a story that people can relate to. Yep. Not everybody's going to relate to the Zuckerbergs and the Bezos yeah. and, you know, the Musks of the world. Yeah. Um, but they are in a business, they have to market. And so they're going to make you believe that uh, you can, can do, do it, it too. too, which yeah. is, and ultimately, I guess you have to ask: is that, is that a good thing, or is that ultimately doing a disservice to a lot of people? You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I I would say that it, it does a disservice, but you know, I don't know. I guess if they just were honest and said, "I'm just smarter than you," that's why I'm more successful. Yeah, and they would be. What right. do you do when you have? Let's say you have a child, and but, the child's like mediocre at everything yeah, do you tell the I child know. like you know what you I, just I, see i i wonder about <laughs> you this you know, lawns for that's that's all you're gonna do yeah. and i'm not even talking about having a business i'm talking about you're gonna have one lawnmower and you're yeah. not and you're just gonna push it till you're 50 or 60 years yeah. old for your neighbors um or you know i that's what that's i guess that's what i mean like yeah the 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 fine line i mean to a certain degree you can say that by <laughs> not being completely honest with people, yeah. that it maybe pushes them at least to be a little bit better than they would have been. I, I think, yeah, I think it, for a parent and for like a teacher and stuff like that, I think it's it's knowing what motivates your your child or your student. So in other words, like there's some people that perform better when they think, when they're confident, but there's other people who don't. There's other people like I would say insecurity and fear are many times much better motivators than confidence. Confidence to me, it's always like, more oh, God. I'm well, you look fine. at some of the most successful people in the world, and they were they were narcissists, right? Yeah, there's that and, too. Yeah. So, in narcissism, there is a lot of insecurity and fear. Yeah, absolutely. You want people to think a certain yeah. way about you. Yeah. I mean, I would tell you, like, so okay, I'm I'm gonna turn 49 in like six weeks, right? And my goal is to get like in the best physical shape I've ever been, or whatever. But I mean, I'll sound as cocky or however. Like for 49, I look or 48, I look freaking good for a 48-year-old dude. Like, I'm in, I'm in the same size I was when I was 21 and probably in better shape. And I was in good shape when I was 21. And the reason I'm, I'm motivated, I'm scared of turning out like my dad. My dad was a fat, sloppy, drunk, whatever person. And he would tell me all through my life, you're going to look just like me when you're my age and blah, blah. And he said that when he was 40, when he was 50, when he was 60, he kept saying it. And that fear is the primary driver still to this day. I am do you think, still he, do you think he, he did that because he knew that would motivate you? Maybe. That's the thing. I have to look back at it like for a long time. It used to annoy me. And now I'm like, maybe he just understood how to push my buttons. Maybe. So it's like, so that fear can be a huge motivator. It absolutely can be. And if I was just like, oh, it'll never happen to me. It's like, dude, I saw that happen to so many people I knew where it's like, there's guys that I knew in like middle school where I'll, I'll see their picture now. I'm like, Jesus, you look just like your dad. Like I knew this kid and his dad was this big fat guy and he's like, oh, don't ever have him. And he looks just like him now. So it's like, 
It's, but I was always terrified of it happening. So it didn't. But if I lose the fear, it might. I don't know. So Keeps yeah, you on it, your toes, my it brother. Does. It does, man. So I think you're right. It just comes down to knowing yourself and knowing how to motivate yourself. And you got to be honest with yourself. Boom. Throw mic that mic drop. To check out this episode or our past episodes, uh, go to the Jiu-Jitsu Up Life. Also check out Apple iTunes, like, review, subscribe. As always, I'm Mo. That is my brother and partner in crime, Carter Fisk. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by RuleBliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the RuleBliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at RuleBliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.